Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Astrology Now podcast. My name is Christine Rodriguez. And in this segment, I feel so fortunate to interview and introduce Dr. Andrew Foss. Dr. Foss is the co-founder and president of the British Association for Vedic Astrology. He is the author of Yoga of the Planets, and he has profound knowledge and insight into astrology, numerology, philosophy, and spirituality. I absolutely loved our conversation. It was so enlightening. I feel like I learned so much, and I hope that you all enjoy it as well. If you would like to visit Dr. Foss's website for a consultation or to learn more about him, you can find him at VedicSoftware.com, and I will be sure to put that link in the descriptions. Again, I hope that you enjoy this segment. Okay, so welcome back, everyone. Today, I am so grateful to be interviewing Dr. Andrew Foss. He is the co-founder and president of the British Association for Vedic Astrology, as well as the author of Yoga of the Planets. And I was so lucky to be introduced to Dr. Foss's work through the Sedona Vedic Astrology Conference. And I was just, I instantly needed to book a reading with you and learn more from you. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Oh, sure. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. And so something that was so unique about the reading with you is that you spoke a lot about gods and goddesses throughout the reading. And I'm hoping to hear more about your history and your experience with gods and goddesses and how they're an integrated part of Vedic astrology. Yeah, big topic. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the philosophy is that everything arises from the one. But the moment it starts to become manifest, it gains personality in a sense you have you can have a personal relationship with something that's different from you when you merge with it completely then there's no difference so there's no question of this god that god or so forth so but in order to you know as long as we have some sense of separation then there is a personal god so the question is for each person it's not like there is multiple gods. There's only one divinity, but that divinity appears in different disguises, as it were, according to the uh, aspiration of the seeker. You know, like uh, the great Jagannath temple in Puri in India. So every few days they change the whole dress. He has many different dresses. Yeah. Like he and the three, there's Lord Krishna, basically, and his sister and and his brother. So they're sitting there in the shrine and, you know, each festival day they're wearing a different outfit. So they may appear like as Ganesha or, you know, different other gods, because this, the point is to convey to the people that this is really ultimately one God, but it helps us, you know, we have a natural attraction. Like some people have a, they just, invariably feel a sense of drawn to the feminine form mm -hmm. say if you're a, you know you're a catholic in the in the christian catholic world there is the masculine form and the feminine form and you can worship both of them and if you go to i remember when i was on some train going from switzerland to italy 
And it was in the middle of the night when we crossed the border, but I could feel it because there's some kind of devotion in Italy, which is, you know, I know I could feel it. And on top of all the little, you know, the decent sized hills in, in, in Italy, there's usually some shrine to the Mother Mary. And that's what you find in India. The goddess temples are on top of the hills. You know, it's, it's, it's just something in the nature. Yeah. So, you know, it's not anything to do with Hinduism. It's just something that's natural. Mm. You know, some religions lean more towards the sort of male sort of sense of, some are more towards the sense of formlessness. You know, we won't have any image of our God. He is formless or whatever, or she, whatever. They don't really think about it as a, in a anthropomorphical sense, but, you know, so these, it's like there's different philosophies and each person has their own philosophy. So some people are really into what we could call Vedanta or the universal nature of things. Mm -hmm. And some people say, no, no, that's, that's just all pie in the sky. I believe in this God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, that's all good until we start fighting over whose God is what. <laughs> <laughs> which is you know crazy because the god has only taken that form simply to entertain us you yeah. know if he takes another form or she takes another form to entertain someone else that's some other person's business you see why should we be fighting over it but anyway so the idea of the astrologer is to identify which form of god would kind of respond to the prayers of the of the client somebody needs help who should they appeal to you know it's like suppose you're um you know you have some problem in your area your community so you have to know which department of the local government or the federal government you have to know who to talk to because if you go to the wrong department they'll just tell you to go away <laughs> No, this is a matter for the water department or the street department or whatever. You have to find the right department. And when you find the right person in the right department, immediately something starts to happen for you. Yeah. So it's exactly like that. You see, there's this huge sort of management system. It's huge. <laughs> there may be one president at the top, but you can't necessarily contact the president because your water main isn't working properly. Mm -hmm. You have to go to, you know, the proper person in the hierarchy. Yeah. So this huge sort of proliferation, apparent proliferation of divinities on so many different levels comes out of this, you see. So it's a really a matter of what the problem is and, and what might, you know, might be the, the kind of uh, devotion or propitiation that could help you. Now you could say that, I mean, some people would say it's something like magical, you say, you ask and you get something. Other people would say it's psychology, like, you know, suppose someone is, uh, there's something in the chart that looks a bit frightening. So the person has a complex, they're fearful. So in India, you know, usually uh, there are these sort of ferocious forms of the God like, you know, Kali, goddess Kali. So she has human skulls hanging around her neck and she's carrying this blood dripping sword and all that. So it's very terrifying. But you see, if, if, if you have a problem with some severe malefic, like 
Rahu in your chart, then you have to somehow, you know, you've got to get over your fear somehow. So being sent to the Kali temple where you, you're sitting in front of the deity and even though the deity looks frightening, you keep thinking in your heart, it's the mother, it's the mother, she's going to look after me. And gradually your psychology will adjust. You know, you can look at it from a sort of scientific point of, psychological point of view, if you like, you see, because yep. it is, it's, it's, it's perfectly valid. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is these different, um, like Durga, Durga is another great goddess who's carrying many weapons. So she's also considered very compassionate. But, you know, you have to have the right attitude. <laughs> so, you know, if you're having troubles with Saturn, then she's often the one who can help you out, mm -hmm. you see. But you have to get over the, you know, your own sort of hang-ups, as it were, or, or deficiencies. And studying that form of the goddess, you know, the one that sort of fits your problem, is, is sort of the, it just sort of focuses you in. It's like a sort of laser beam as it comes in on what your real problem is. And if you keep on giving attention there, it'll gradually unknot all the all the knots that are muddling you up and causing your dysfunction. Yeah. So it's it's something wonderful. It works. Yeah. And and so I do have a question um, for people who are listening and, and probably super curious. First of all, I wanted to touch on the like changing of the psychology and how we view these different energies. Is it's like a lot of the time, and you can definitely correct me, but a lot of the time when we are connecting with these energies, it's often in the use of mantra and the repetition of mantra and repetition is the way that we begin to change anything. And like you were saying, like changing our state of mind. And the other thing that I'm wondering is how, and this is such a like broad question, but maybe if you could give a few examples how would someone know which god or goddess to pay homage to based off of their Vedic birth chart? And I know that you were mentioning Rahu um, and Saturn, but do you have any other examples? Oh, yeah. Now, if you know a little bit of Jyotish, then the first place to look is the fifth house. Because hmm. the fifth house is, is, the, is what, you, what you love, basically. You know, romance comes in the fifth house. It's a... Uh, it's, there's something, you know, children are coming in the fifth house. So your, your greatest affection is really for whatever's in the fifth house. So there are lots of other rules in Jyotish for this, because what you love is not necessarily the one you have to approach because of some problem. There you have to analyze where the problem is actually falling mm -hmm. and who it is who could possibly help you out. Mm -hmm. Usually the malefic planets represent the difficulty you're having mm -hmm. and the benefit planets are the ones that could help you. Okay. That's normally, you know, very simple yeah. approach. So if there's at least one benefit involved, you know, maybe it's Jupiter. So if Jupiter is involved, then it might be that some teacher or some guru or some, some doctor or somebody who's a sort of uh, wise person mm -hmm. turns out to be the one who helps you out. Got it. You see, or it might be just, it might represent Lord Shiva. You have to see the circumstances 
you know, I mean, the actual name of the God might depend on, you know, what religion the person has or whether they have any religion or not. But it's, it, it all comes down to the same at the end. There's some kind of wisdom that's going to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, so basically you're praying for wisdom because mm-hmm. that's what Jupiter represents, you see. Yeah. Got so each, each planet, especially each benefit, like Mercury represents Vishnu, which is sustenance, that which sustains. So that's what you're praying for, basically. You know, your world is falling apart. And you want it to, you want to save it. Yeah. So, so like Vishnu has these different avatars. The idea is that the world is falling apart, you know, literally. And so some form of God comes and sort of deals with the situation. Like if there's some demon that's destroying everything, they fight the demon and kill the demon and everything goes back to normal. All the cloud, you know, all the climate change sorts itself out. I mean, it's very interesting a lot of these stories do refer to the climate. Like mm-hmm. the sign of the demons taking over the planet in the old Vedic stories is that the rain stopped coming on time, uh, all sorts of un, na- unnormal things mm-hmm. happen with the climate. So people are suffering in a big way. Mm-hmm. Crops are failing and all that, you know, pestilences, pandemics, all these things are supposed to be uh, you know, traditionally some sign of some bad thinking in the minds of the people mm-hmm. personified in some leaders who are basically leading everyone astray. I mean, it's the old idea. But you see, and then usually those leaders are so powerful that no one on earth can deal with them. Mm-hmm. They're just too strong. So then God has to come <laughs> in some form, you know, take some birth in some form that is strong enough to deal and there's a big battle, usually there's a big battle. And then everything kind of harmonizes. The rains come on time and the sun shines on time. I mean, it mentions these things in the books, you see. Yeah. So, you know, that's like in the Bhagavad Gita is a well-known text. So it's mentioned that if the Dharma, Dharma means like the traditions of the keep life in balance, if they go out of sync, then uh, basically, you know, all the sort of religious practices stop and then all the uh, rain basically stops falling, you know, drought comes and people are, everything falls apart, civilization collapses. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that. So uh, it's a very old idea. In China, there is this tradition that when a a new uh, empire starts, like there's some leader comes, and he sort of takes over and now the, when when a new person comes usually who's really fresh they're kind of uh, they have a certain purity like they're not corrupt because they're full of their own idealism you know so it's, they establish things and people are happy but then after a few generations corruption starts to set in as yeah. it always does yeah you know the, the government servants start cheating the people and demanding bribes and things and everything's declining. And it, the tradition is that when it reaches a certain point of degeneration, there's some big uh, catastrophe, usually something like a you know, tsunami, earthquake or something. Mm-hmm. And then the, the regime falls and a new regime comes. You know, we've seen this. Um, 
it, it's, it's something they've observed. You know, the most recent one was um, maybe, I mean, you know, we can't say if it was or wasn't, but just around the time that Mao died, after all the cultural revolution and all that, there was this huge earthquake. Some, I don't know, a few hundred thousand people died. I don't know exactly, but it was a large, very large number. It was really a massive thing. And then everything changed. That was when the whole sort of modern type of China began after that, you know. So, so it was just, anyway, these things are, go on, they go on on the individual level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's true on the macrocosm is often true on the microcosm. So sometimes we have this kind of crisis and the v- approach of Vedic astrology is not fatalistic. It says, don't just give in to the situation, but maybe you sh- should start praying for help. <laughs> I mean, because prayer does produce a result. Yes. Ultimately, your prayers will be fulfilled. They will be responded to. It's not, uh, it, it's never wasted. It may not happen immediately, but if you sincerely are asking for help, from somewhere the help will come. Mm-hmm. You see. Yeah. But in in the astrology, we have a sort of we're more, you know we have a certain degree of uh, precision about this. You can see what where sort of help will come, when it will come, all these sort of things you can see by studying the planets involved. Yeah. Yeah. And so I heard you earlier mentioning, first of all, I loved that you kind of took it from the the macro and brought it into the micro because it's so true. Like if we're running a tough planetary period or a tough dasha, it's like the rain's not coming, like the, the right. crops are drying up and exactly. we need help. Right? <laughs> and so I was just like, yeah, I've been through that. I've definitely experienced that type of thing in my life before. Relatable. Um, And what you were saying earlier is that depending on our fifth house or depending on our chart, there are going to be gods and goddesses that are going to be more or less auspicious in terms of helping us out. Mm. Um, But as I was mentioning with like the planetary periods, like, could it change depending on the dasha someone is going through, or is it more based off of like fixed in the birth chart? No, it's both, both approaches are there because one of the things one is supposed to do at the beginning of studying a, star, a chart is to de- determine the devatars of the that apply to that individual. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a devatar, which is a a planet. You identify the planet, but the planet is not acting as a planet; it's acting as a devatar. Okay. A, see, the problem with some astrology is that they look at the chart and they think. Oh, these are the malefics, they're bad. These are the benefics, they're good. Mm-hmm. You can't do that because there are different roles. So like one of the planets is, is the Ishta Devatar. And that means the one who can actually save you, like your personal savior. Yeah. The Ishta isn't bothered about whether you have a big house or a small house. Absolutely not bothered. They're only trying to save you, like, you should, your soul should rise up. It shouldn't go down. Other planets are concerned with your survival. Like there's a, what you call Dharma Devatar. The Dharma Devatar is seeing that, you know, you sustain. This could be any of the planets. You see, we can't have some negative attitude towards any planet because it might turn out to be our Dharma Devatar or Ishta Devatar. Then there's the Palanda Devatar, which is always some feminine form. And that is the one that is giving you the job. 
it sees that, you know, you have sustenance, you know, in terms of work, basically. So that's another, these are things that, you know, advance calculations, but my point is that the, you know, every planet in the chart really is a divine force. And if we start on some kind of, you know, sometimes people speak in a very disrespectful way about the planets, some of the, certain of the planets, you see. If you look in my book, it goes through the, uh, all the different energies of each planet, and you'll see that they, they all have a divine side to them. Mm -hmm. And they can all give us a hard time if, we, if that's what we, in a way, deserve, you see. But if, you know, when you see these pictures of the deities, uh, some artist has drawn it, but they've drawn it based on traditional understanding. And generally, in virtually every case, the, uh, the picture shows one hand up like this, mm -hmm. which means no fear. The other hands may have weapons, but this says no fear, you see. So the point is that, okay, you're not paying attention, I'm going to hit you. Pay attention, I'm blessing you. That's basically the message, you see. Yeah. The answer to everything is paying attention. So what are we paying attention to in our lives, you see? That's what we should think about. What are we paying attention to? Maybe we should pay attention to something more meaningful and a little bit, we can spend time with recreation. My guru always said that, but you know, that shouldn't just be all the time. <laughs> we should have some, some, some time that is really for something real. Yes. You know. Because there was a, there's a famous story in the Vedic literature about, um, see, there's Lord Vishnu, he's very great, and he's up there in some cloud somewhere and looking after the planet. And then uh, there's this great sage called Narada. He's, you know, top sage. He can go anywhere in the universe, and he does. Anyway, so he considers himself the number one devotee of Vishnu. So one day he's... He, he's saying to Vishnu, who is your greatest devotee expecting to be told you are? You see? And, and Vishnu said, ah, oh, it's so-and-so, lives on that house down there. <laughs> so then Narada was like, what? <laughs> so I have to meet this man, you see? So he goes down to the earth and he visits this house and he finds it some businessman and he's totally busy, like rushing to the office, this, this. But every morning, he manages to get one flower and he offers it to Vishnu. Then he's gone, you see. So then uh, Narada goes back to heaven. He says to Lord Vishnu, look, this guy's okay. He's giving you one flower a day. But I mean, that's all. He spends one minute. It's good. But then Lord Vishnu says, look, he's so busy. He still finds time every day for that moment. And that puts him on the top of the list. Because other people, some days they forget. You, know. <laughs> you see what I mean? The point yeah. is, a little attention goes a long way, basically. Yeah. yeah. So we, the thing is, what do we in our heart really, you know, what is it that we really love? It's not some external construct. It's something that's inside of us. I remember this guy in London came for a reading. Just a regular English girl. And uh, I was looking at her chart. She had Ketu in the fifth house. So I, I thought, well, you know, she's probably never even heard of Ganesha. Ganesha goes with Ketu, you see. 
So I knew I said, well, you know, you, you might be interested in Ganesha. She said, my whole house is full of Ganesha. I have hundreds of Ganesha statues. <laughs> uh -huh. I had the same experience with you. You were yeah. like, oh, you'd like these goddesses. And I'm like, I already, I've got some shrines. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Both of the ones I mentioned, you already. Yep. Doing, see? see, that means it's real. Because yeah. if astrologer tells you something that just doesn't fit at all. It's not true. You don't need to follow it. Hmm. it. It should it should resonate with something that you actually know already. Hmm. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. You can't tell anyone anything new really, but you can you can sort of remind. Yeah. And then something, however deep it's buried, wakes up a bit, you know. Yeah. And then you've done some you've done some service to the person. Yeah. Yeah. And so for people who find it difficult, this is one of the chief complaints. I mean, I, I don't know if complaint is the right word, but a lot of people have come to me and said, it's really difficult for me to integrate a spiritual practice into my day. You know, it's really difficult for me to meditate or, and I feel like a lot of that can be remedied just by understanding how positive it can benefit you. You know, it's just like, once you start experiencing the, the benefit of it, I think it's really motivating, but I'm curious to ask you how someone could benefit by taking time to pay homage to a god or goddess during their day. Like what there is, could, hmm? there is I think everyone who does have a regular practice sees and knows how much it benefits them. Mm -hmm. Because you know, even you just stop for five minutes, you're not looking at any screen you're not thinking about anything in particular, you just, and you're not falling asleep. It's just, maybe you just put your attention on your breathing. And that's all you do for five minutes. And it can be very uh, relaxing and re reinvigorating. Mm -hmm. Such a small thing, and yet it's actually really beneficial. So mm -hmm. can you imagine if you had say 15 minutes twice a day, how much good it would do for you. Mm -hmm. And then if that's helping, if you get some actual proper practice from a, a proper, you know, some teacher who really knows what they're doing, mm -hmm. then that would be even more beneficial, you see? Yeah. So we can start wherever we are. Mm -hmm. We don't have to jump into some heavy practice from nothing. That normally doesn't work. Yeah. It's like some drastic diet. <laughs> But how long does it last, you see? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, That's right. a great comparison, yeah. <laughs> so what we want, you can start with the sort of the, the Vishnu thing, like that one minute a day kind of thing. Mm. I mean, you know, I'm not suggesting one minute a day, but just that, that the principle there, you see. Yes. Whatever you do, you should do it daily. Yes. You know. A lot of people meditate in the morning, some people meditate in the evening, if you can meditate both times, it's good. Some people don't want to sit and meditate, they need something more active. But that's okay, you can do, you can do chanting, you can do some offerings, or you, know, you can go for a walk and just try to be more attentive, like um, 
instead of thinking about your own life and all that, just pay attention. The birds, whatever's, you know, going along in the nature around you. You see what I mean? I'm saying basically oh, yeah. we want to recenter ourselves in a, in a slightly less personal space. Totally. And I mean, you started all of this by saying like, there really is just one divine source, you know? And so it's like, by taking a moment, as you mentioned, to stop thinking about your own life, your own ego, Mm -hmm. the part of ourself that keeps us separate from that divine space. Right. Right. It's like taking a moment to remove all of those layers of who we think we are and what we think is important to connect with the eternal energy that keeps all of this running. Exactly. (laughs) The thing about why astrology works is that the whole show that we're putting up in the world is all there in the chart. You may think you invented it. No, it was all preset. Mm -hmm. It's all a show. Yes. Because the, the real essence of you is really just witnessing the show. Mm. You know, the, the soul has certain experiences to, to, to witness in this lifetime. And the mind doesn't really know too much about that. So it keeps on making stories to explain this and that, you say. It's all stories that mind makes up. The mind doesn't really know what the soul wants or what the soul has to experience. So, you know, that's why there's so much mental activity over trying to explain this and that. But the fact is that the soul, which is pure, you see, you know, you can get into some kind of mentality that, you know, you're tarnished in some way. Maybe you got abused or something. But the soul is not abused. Your essence is still absolutely pure. It's just that it had some, there was some kind of shock or something happened. And then the mind felt tarnished. Mm-hmm. So you're walking around with that, you know, painful burden. Yeah. But the essence of you is still absolutely pure. So if you can make some connection to that, and all you have to do to connect to that is to give some space for it. Mm-hmm. You have to put down a little bit of what you're carrying yeah. and just be more on that. Mm-hmm. And then that will start to dominate over the, all the stuff that you've, you were carrying, you see. Yeah. That's what you want. We want the, the silence to expand, the yeah. purity to expand, the, the bliss to expand. Mm-hmm. And all the garbage to sort of <laughs> melt away. See? Yeah. And it happens little by little. Yeah. It, you have to like work on it. That's the thing about um, repetition of mantras is that by going round and round, like you're wearing a nice Mara sort of necklace, I see. So if you, if you go round and round on that, then it sort of gradually cleans. It's a, it's a gradual cleaning process and it will eventually completely clean us. All of the garbage will go. Yeah. There's nothing that can't be healed. Yes. And I, I have this like visual image. It's like you said it so perfectly. I had this visual image 
of um, there's a metaphor often used as like a mirror and like polishing the mirror. It's like we're born with a mirror that is completely pure and completely reflective of like that divine energy. And as we move throughout life, it's like, it's getting like little splatters on it and fingerprints on it or like trauma, you know, there's like a big mark on it. And then we start finding these spiritual practices. And as you were saying every day, when we choose to chant or we choose to invest time in a spiritual practice, it's like, we're slowly just polishing the mirror and taking those little smudges away. And eventually, like you were saying, you can get it clear, you can get it clean. And like, there's nothing that you can't work through. Exactly. There really is nothing. There's no experience which is so awful that it can possibly tarnish the essence of ourselves. Yeah. It can do a lot of, it can do a lot of disturbance to the mind, Mm -hmm. but ultimately the mind is just a sort of external to the soul. You can get people who are shining beautiful souls and yet their mind is totally broken. Hmm. You've probably met, you know, ladies, sometimes these disabled children, but the, they're so beautiful. You know, it's just that their mind, and you can see that in the chart, because the mind is the moon, mm-hmm. and it can get materially messed up, but that doesn't mean that the soul is messed up. Yeah. So each one of us is um, here to learn something. And each person has what we call an Atma Karaka. That means, Atma means like the soul, and Karaka means the significator. And when we say soul, here we're talking about the embodied soul, not the cosmic soul, but just the, the, the one that is uh, encapsulated in this body. So from if you accept the different lifetimes. So in lifetimes, you may have a different planet. In this particular lifetime, one of the planets represents us, and each planet has a sort of lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. For example, Mars. Mars is the planet of violence. So the people with that very strong kind of core energy of Mars, they have to learn nonviolence. Not to indulge the violence, you see, like Saturn. Saturn is, has a cruel streak. So Saturn people, their path is to learn to be kind. The sun, the sun is naturally bossy. So if, if the core, if our core tendency is like that, we have to learn not to be bossy. <laughs> you know, it's, these things are not easy. If it was easy, the life would be very short because I mean, you know, we'd learn the lesson after a few weeks and we'd be done, you see. So, but there's great benefit in working on it, in a sense, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of the planets, I mean, the soul planet is the one that's sort of our core tendency, which really we should, un- that's one of the advantages if you get to a good astrologer. They can help you really understand what's the core issue. Mm-hmm. All the other planets can interfere. Like you have some kind of, uh, you know, different cycle we call the dashas. So during a particular dasha, that planet becomes strong. So we start behaving like that planet. Mm-hmm. However, it is set up in our chart. And so, you know, if somebody goes into a sun period, they become more bossy. <laughs> they become more uh, self 
oriented, you know, it's all about them, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then they go into a moon period after the sun period, the moon period, the moon period says, oh, no, that was much too much. Now I need to have, uh, I need to be more social. I should get on with everybody. Maybe a few, you know, if you're at that time of life of babies and it's time for babies, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you moved into a completely different mentality because the dasha has switched. Yes. Yeah. So this is what happens. You know, Mars starts, you become very dynamic. You have to snap decisions, get on with it, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you start growing runs every morning i mean you know it, it just motivates us like that but it's, it's temporary you see this is just something that rises at some stage so we can't start thinking oh this is me yeah we put up a big notice oh i'm the great athlete oh just right now this is working for you this is what you have to do right now but it shouldn't make you um cruel or violent or you know harsh on other people don't get angry with everybody who's happens to be slightly in your way, you see. Yeah. So it's a matter of gradually kind of uh, becoming more holistic and less driven by these different agendas, really. Each planet has an agenda. Yeah. You, know, you can think of the souls being like the, the, the monarch who's just sitting in their throne. And then the, these are all the advisors. So Mars says, war! And Mercury says, no, no, peace. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like this is what, you know, and depending on your chart, you get more of one type of advice than the other. Yeah. But none of those advices are actually you. You're just listening to all these advices. Yeah. And, and once you have a bit of consciousness before you follow any of them. Yes. Because none of them are 100% helpful. Yes. Yes. And this is why Vedic astrology and understanding your chart is so profoundly helpful. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying earlier, like when you were using the moon as an example and having a difficulty to the moon, and this is something where it's just like a lesson that you need to learn, right? It's like, you know, just being aware of it is one thing. And being aware of you may have this certain affliction, you may be going through this planetary period soon where you feel like you are going to get up and jog every day for whatever. And it's like, embrace what is good about it. And you can be aware of it and also not attach yourself to the identity of it. Exactly. You know, 100%, that's what I said. Yeah. And you so it's, it that's very nice. Yeah. That's exactly this attachment, you know, like, um, I had a client in London and uh, he was running a hedge fund and he had a long, he was going through one Dasha period where he was just, everything was, money was pouring in. Then he came to the end. So I was saying, look, this is, you know, that period is ended. Be careful. They said, no, no, I am the big cheese. Whatever I do makes money. So after a short time, his whole business closed down because he lost everything. Everybody left. That was the end of it. Because he, he went on thinking it was something to do with him. Yeah. That he'd been successful. No, it was, you had some, uh, whatever was the cause of the luck, but you were lucky for a period of time. And, uh, yeah. you know, you'd made the right decisions, but where did those decisions actually come from? You see, now you're doing all the same, you've got the same brain, basically, but you're making all the wrong decisions. Yeah. You see, so the people really fall when they get into this egotistical idea that, you know, I'm great because of X, Y, Z, instead of 
humbly accepting that, you know, okay, I'm doing well now, thanks be to God. And if tomorrow I'm doing badly, still thanks be to God, I'm going to adjust and do whatever, you know, tomorrow is offering, you see. If you can adjust, it's like the, you know, all the, that's what they say about the, the great people are those who are like big trees that bend in the wind. Mm. <laughs> they don't just snap, you know, because they, they can adjust with the, with the changing circumstances. So, and that's because they're not identifying with it. So your point you made is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Our weaknesses are really based on our identification. You know, we can identify with the body, but then we suffer because the body doesn't look perfect. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we identify with whatever, you know, our family. Mm-hmm. And um, then we start, you know, all sorts of issues come up because of the identification. I mean, we are associated with a family, of course, but um, it sh- we shouldn't, our survival shouldn't depend on trying to fight over some identification. Yes. If you see what I mean. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, like this is me, like the guy, like yeah. I am my career, like the suffering yeah, exactly. is going to come in when he is no longer connected to that career because everything in life is temporary. Nothing is going to last forever. Exactly. And so creating that distance between the attachment of like who we think that we are with our material possessions or our material achievements, being able to create that distance of just like, yeah, this is what my ego gets to play with in this life. (laughs) And I understand that it's not mine or too representative of like who I am. I think that that can do a lot to ease suffering. It does because you see, it's based on a kind of faith that I have, I'm here for some purpose. And as long as I'm meant to be here, I will eat every day. You know, unless I decide to fast on that day. But I mean, basically, I, you know, it's like there's something sustaining me yeah. and it will sustain me. In the chart, the second house is the where we eat, is the food, you see. And that's, they say the second house is the marker. The Lord of the second house is the one who kills you. Why? Because if it decides not to feed you, no food. If you... If you, you know, go through the experience of being with people who are dying, they usually stop eating days or weeks before they die. Mm. Just to some, they, they, whatever, they've resolved something inside of themselves and it's perfectly okay, you see. So it's not, it's like all the anxiety over how will I survive, even though it's totally natural, we all experience it. Yes. But there is a truth in the fact that something is sustaining us that we can't see and it will sustain us for as long as it's useful to be here in this form and if it's no longer useful we'll get some other form somewhere else it's not coming to an end when we die that's just a transition from one state to another Mm -hmm. so all the anxiety like you say of a job i've got to have this job like you know people look at around at their you know, I've had so many clients, they say, oh, well, you know, I was at university with X, Y, and Z, and they're all multimillionaires now. And what about me? I'm only a world famous physician. And, you know, I mean, like, you know, well, it's just, you can see that how the delusion gets hold of the head. Yeah. And you don't have any idea what those other people are experiencing. Because how much money you've got has nothing to say about how happy you are. 
And any, everyone's only looking for happiness, that's all. In fact, you know, if you have a big mountain of money, you're usually miserable because you have so many issues to deal with, so many pressures, so many uh, challenges and difficulties. And there's a lot of problems that come with that mountain of money. It could be fear of losing it. Well, that's right. The fear increases with the quantity of stuff you've got. And it doesn't make much sense, really. Because, yeah. But then why are the people so desperate to make the next billion dollars? Yeah. You know, it's like, why can't you give a few dollars to the government? Yeah. No, no, let the poor people pay all the taxes. I'm going to avoid all my taxes. I mean, you know, that's... But it, it somehow, in the, it's, it's something happens to the brain that's sort of not, not good, really. Yeah. You know, there's an idea that, um, you know, it's difficult to be super fortunate in that sense and also spiritual. Now, it's not impossible because there are examples of um, people like kings who are very decent, but it, it's very difficult because generally speaking to... But they say behind every great fortune is a great crime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some wise person said that. And it's very often the case. And so, you know, you, you bent a few, you bent a few rules <laughs> along mm -hmm. the way. You exploited a few people who you probably shouldn't have exploited. Yeah. So, and then that, all of that creates a, some kind of uh, uh, complex you know, internally, you're hiding it, you hide it very as much as you can, but internally you don't feel very happy. You mm. see, the soul is witnessing what the mind is doing. And eventually the soul just gets disgusted. Mm. <laughs> if, if the mind starts abusing, whatever. Yeah. The mind will keep on giving excuses like you have to do this because of X, Y, and etc. But something inside of you doesn't actually, uh, it doesn't feel comfortable with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. But that's really speaking, a wise person, in whatever position they've been landed by their past karmas, should pay attention to that sense inside of the heart and if something in your heart is saying no you shouldn't listen to all the excuses that are given by your mind and other people around you mm -hmm. to do that thing yeah 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 absolutely they say saturn saturn can give a lot he can give huge wealth all these things they say he's, he's just waiting for the first lie he has this nice club, you see, but he can't beat you as long as you're honest. Uh -huh. He's just waiting. Please go ahead. That's why. <laughs> that's why. Saturn in the chart usually indicates dishonesty because wherever he's sitting, he's giving us this little like, please, please. Mm. You that know. Is so interesting. Yeah. 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 So we should be very careful. You know, it's it's much better because. If you stick to the straight and narrow, you may not end up with, you may not have so much stuff, mm -hmm. but you have a very uh, satisfied heart. Yeah. You'll feel clean. Yeah. And once you've dirtied your heart, it's actually difficult to sort of recover. I mean, you could. Yeah. 
But then one lie leads to a hundred lies, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, and it also sounds a lot like environmental because in order, it, it kind of sounds like the environment in which we start telling those lies, it's like surrounded by other people. You know, it's like a cultural thing. Like if we're in this race for um, like a ton of wealth and I don't want to like demonize wealth because we all need um, money and it's okay to want money. You know what I mean? But like, if, if we're doing bad things in order to attain a lot of money, mm-hmm. a lot of the time we're around people that validate those actions. Exactly. And then before we know it, we have a community of people who were all acting the same way. And so it's like, once you're in that space, it's so hard to be like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go hang out at the ashram yeah. <laughs> and uh, get a more pure heart. You know, like it's going to yeah. take so much more. Um, it, will. it gets more and more difficult to dig your way out of the hole. Yeah. You know, the further you dropped into it, the, it's more and more difficult. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't mean, you see, the real value in life is that purity of the heart. Yeah. That's the only thing that counts for anything. Hmm. And if you find someone with a pure heart, it's like gold, you know, that's why. You know, people flock from all over the planet just to get a gl- glimpse of that person. They can sense that there's something extremely precious, you know. There's something, because that's the connection with God, you see, a pure heart is. And it doesn't, you don't need to have anything for that, just you don't agree to do things that you don't feel are right, that's it, you know. You can't buy it. That 100,000 you got by cheating somebody, selling something dishonest, will never buy you back the purity of the heart. Yeah. You'll never buy it back. Mm-hmm. But if you gave it all away, yep. <laughs> it would help a lot. Yeah. That's what it says in the ancient uh, Indian texts. It says that, you know, if the money you earn is, say, 25% bad, you can't have any money that's 100% good. Mm. There's always going to be something that's harmed by any kind of earning process. Yeah. Like you may not be quite, you may not realize about it, but it's always, so it's accepted that that's going to be the case. But it said, say, suppose you think, okay, I'm, there's going to be a small percentage that's always uh, some sin has been, sin or whatever word we like to call it. Somebody got, disadvantaged by that, what we got. So let's say we decide it's 25% dodgy money. Give the 25% to somebody useful, like some some genuinely good cause. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be given away. That's what they say, you know, it's 50% bad, give 50%. If it's 100% bad, give all of it away. But then they say that if you're a good person, don't accept any of that money. <laughs> I remember a friend of mine, he had some uh, he had some other friend who was a drug dealer. He was a good guy, this guy, friend of mine. And one day the drug dealer rocked up at his door and he said, I, you know, I've really done so many bad things and I just made all this money and um, I want to give it to you. And he handed him $25,000. This was quite a few years ago, so that was a lot more money than today. He just, my friend just refused it. You see, that was smart. That was smart. Because when you take that money, you're just putting like a big rock on your head. 
Because yeah. it's the transference of the sin from the other person to you, you see. Yeah. So the right thing is to give it. That's why they say, uh, you know, you give it to some something that can like some, you know, really powerful temple or religious institution or something that can handle that kind of garbage. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that is, I mean, like, this is just so profoundly helpful and something to think about. And um, I love that you are using Saturn as the example too, as like the one who's just kind of like waiting to punish you if you decide to slip up. And you had mentioned people traveling to find someone with a pure heart. And the first person that popped into my head was Amma, the hugging saint. And she... She has an exalted Saturn in the first house. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I was like, man, this is so, it's just beautiful and amazing. But yeah, I mean, why I, do so many people go? You see, it's, the, it's because yeah. she is the pure heart. Yeah. She's so beautiful and she does nothing but, you know, she's just giving and giving and giving and giving. Yes. In yeah. a way that, you know, no ordinary human being could possibly do. It's just impossible. I know. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So there's always a crowd. Yeah. And so it's like, but the first step, you know, for all of us who are, who are striving to have a pure heart, right. It's, it's taking time every day, as you mentioned, to just devote it to something higher than ourselves. And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be the same God or goddess. It doesn't have to be from any specific religion or spirituality, but just taking time to separate ourselves from the human ego and connect with divinity. Would you say that's like the first step towards a pure heart that's it that's it and if we can't figure out how to do that because not everybody will immediately see that as a something they could really do but then they should do something more practical like go and volunteer you know oh yeah a food bank or you know some shelter or you know Find something practical you can do. So you're giving your attention to something that's not you in your life mm-hmm. and is genuinely helpful to other people. And that will revolutionize your, your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you'll get great benefit. That's not the reason for doing it, but mm-hmm. you know, that's some people that's the actually the best thing that they can do. And then gradually they'll find that centering coming and they'll be able to take more silence for themselves. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been so beautiful. I really want to respect your time, but um, I just, I really encourage everyone to buy your book, Yoga of the Planets, to to study with you in a way that may not be, I don't know, are you doing any online classes or anything where people can learn more from you in addition to the book? Yeah, I mean, on my website, which is Mm -hmm. vedicsoftware.com, there are, you know, I keep posting talks and lectures and workshops I've done. Okay. And you have another conference coming up, yeah? Yeah. The British Association of Vedic Astrology has an online conference this year. Okay. Uh, starting April 15th. Okay. So the website is bava.org. Mm-hmm. Bava.org. The uh, schedule will be up um, probably by the time this is, by the time you hear this, the schedule will be up. Okay. And I'll make sure and list all of this in the show notes. So if people are wanting to find you, they'll be able to find links. Yes. Thank you so much. All right, Dr. Foss. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And thank you for asking me. It's very nice talking to you. Yeah. Have a wonderful day. 
Thank you so much for listening until the end of the segment. Again, I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. I found this conversation so enriching and enlightening. Just so, so grateful for Dr. Foss and him taking time to share with us today. Again, if you would like to book a consultation with Dr. Foss, I couldn't recommend it enough. You can find him at VedicSoftware.com. I'm linking that in the descriptions. Please look into his book, Yoga of the planets their mantras and philosophy is is the book that he wrote of course if you would like to contact me you can email me at astrologynowpodcast at gmail.com you can visit my website innerknowing.yoga please follow astrology now's instagram astrology now underscore podcast and i will talk to you all very soon again my name is christine rodriguez this is astrology now thank you so much bye